Hello and welcome to the Higher Gear CIO podcast series. I'm Kelly Kierens, president of Celtic QA Solutions. We welcome you today on our conversation on the future of work. Today we have Ben Kaczynski, professor of the Goizeta Business School at Emory University, and Walt Carter, Homestar Financial's chief digital officer and CIO. As well, Walt is an international best-selling author of We Can't Stay Here, Becoming a Great Change Captain. With that said, I will turn the conversation over to Walt. Well, thank you, Kelly. I appreciate that. It is a great pleasure and honor to have Dr. Ben with us today. Um, Ben and I have actually known each other for probably around four or five years, I think. Uh, And uh, we we came together because we were both really interested in the the Applied uh, AI Society here in Atlanta. And I believe that's where we met, isn't it, Dr. Ben? Um, yes, sir. And, uh, you know, we were bringing in, you know, out-of-town guests to, uh, to tell us about what they were really getting from their AI experiments. And uh, I, I remember having a couple of really fun conversations where, uh, you know, I, I had the right to be wrong, as Dr. Ben told me. And, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so I just and really you, had- And you exercise that right. Well, I've always been pretty bold about that, Doc. Uh, you know, and so it's it's been a great opportunity for me to learn, though, from one of the guys that I think, you know, has over the four or five years, however long that's been, uh, you know, just always delivered really a, a great way of thinking about things that is different from the way that that may maybe many of us in the practitioner world think about it. And I, I don't I don't think I would ever say that you know you come across Dr. Ben as a uh, pure academic because you really don't. Um, one of the things that I, I greatly value is I feel like you you have a very uh, down to earth, pragmatic view of how things you know need to come together or or are going. Uh, you've got a really great you know view of what the vectors are for the future, and that's kind of what I wanted to explore with you today. Is is really as we think about where we are kind of in the midst of this strange, uh, you know, COVID thing that's going across the world and all the different reactions. We're, we're seeing a lot of uh, writing and, uh, you know, pontificating out on the, the, the internet and the interweb about the future of work, uh, you know, and, and uh, so, you know, one of the things I'm, I'm fascinated as you, as you teach, uh, you know, and get ready for the, the students to come out of your classroom and into my world, Right. What kind of things are you telling them about what the future, quote, quote unquote, future of work looks like? And, uh, you know, just just tell me, give me a round robin there for a minute or two on what you're thinking there. Uh, oh, that that's an excellent question and has many different uh, dimensions to it. First of all, is uh, challenging the assumptions of what the term work is and uh, work-life balance and where work ends and life begins and vice versa, because I think that's all subject to change. And uh, the discrete component we've historically called work is uh, is changing as well uh, going forward. So uh, a lot of that's changing, but but, uh, I often start my classes with an, an issue that the future is best seen with a running start. And too many times when I'm dealing with CEOs and CIOs, 
I'm always uh, testing the notion, those that have a standing start on the future, here's where we are today, what's tomorrow? I know that they have very poor horizon on, uh, on what's coming. And so I think it's all, I find that people are as willing as, as willing as they are to think about the past, they're willing to reach as far into the future. And so those that, that know where things came from will know a lot more about where they're going rather than those that are just looking at where things are. So I spend a lot of time on what I, I call yesterday's tomorrows what people of the past thought tomorrow was going to be so that they start exercising a, a, a brain a muscle that gets them thinking about how those people blew it, where they overshot, where they undershot and what they got right uh, going. And often that helps you in uh, testing your thoughts, your initial thoughts and challenges about what the future is. And so in the beginning, uh, certainly my background's in computer science and the academic side, but I have always kept equal balance in academia and practice. And I've been on boards of public and private companies and, and working with corporations from the beginning and, and C-level uh, uh, officers uh, from the beginning throughout for large companies through with AT&T, IBM, UPS and others and small startups and uh, mid-sized companies been on the board of public and, and private companies. So I, I think it's absolutely important to be in the middle of that, that space. And so when I think about what that future is, I, I reflect back on, on the, uh, the past and how that past has, has evolved often. And also then what people of the past thought about the future, because it, uh, it makes you humble on the challenges of projecting what and at what rate things are going to change. In, uh, in my book, I, uh, I highlighted a, uh, an, an artist named uh, Bradley Schink. Uh, who, uh, yes, I recall a that quote. Yeah, he's a, 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 he, um, he, he has uh, imagined a, 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 you know, a, a, a present that doesn't exist. He calls it Retropolis, uh, and it's the future we weren't allowed to have. And, uh, you know, he, he's gone back to, you know, the 1920s, 1930s pulp magazines and, and the, uh, the old science magazines and things like that. And, you know, back in the 30s, they were predicting that we would all be in flying cars and have personal robots. And, you know, it, it was a it was a beautiful future. Right. Um, you know, and, and so and his artwork reflects that kind of, um, you know, pulp fiction, pulp science fiction kind of view of the world. And, and it, it looks actually pretty good. Uh, you know, and then by contrast, you know, the, the desolation of the, the, the future that was imagined for us in the Mad Max Thunderdome movies, the, the first Mel Gibson movies, that, that future was actually set in today, 2020, 2021, yes. right? You know, and fortunately we, we haven't seen that come to pass either. Um, so, so I'm, but I'm with you hundred percent. I mean, and just mathematically, I think 
when you think about a line, uh, right, you know, it, it only takes two points to make a line, but, but you confirm the line if you have three points or more. And, uh, you know, and so when you think to that extension back into the past that you're describing, the further back you can go to see the, the dynamic nature of change, you get a vector or a trend line that develops the, the longer and the more points you have on that trend line, the more predictability you have, let's say, going forward from, from where you are. And, and, and so I think, I think that analogy holds really, really well. So, so what do you see? Yeah, when you, get, you get into this issue of, uh, as I was mentioning, overshooting and undershooting is uh, the kinds of errors that we uh, uh, apply in our projections. And so often I'll go back to the World's Fair of uh, 1939, uh, mm. for example, or other events that are uh, pivotal projections of, uh, of the future. And you wonder where they overshot and where they undershot, what changed and, and what uh, did not. At the be beginning of the 20th century with the uh, radiation, coming, uh, uh, we thought it was gonna cure all medicine. And we would, we would not have to have a lot of medical activities. And there are in the 1950 with uh, nuclear power, we were gonna have unlimited, unlimited power and our cars would be driven by with uh, nuclear plants with no one attending to the fact of what would happen in an accident uh, that we might have. <clears throat> But we overshot and we uh, and we undershot jobs. We, uh, we would get rid of all jobs. We would not create new jobs with computing in the 50s. And that five computers would satisfy our our needs for the rest of the of that century. So we always tend to find both the overshooting and uh, undershooting and therefore your role from a CIO standpoint often is uh, to prepare for the novel, uh, to establish conditions so that you're able to address novel situations that are unexpected in, uh, in our conditions. And it's not, uh, I, I know you, you uh, speak to Rumsfeld in your, in your book and uh, you get into that, uh, uh, known unknowns uh, uh, scenarios, but our systems have to be resilient enough to deal with the novel encounters. And whether that's with a customer and you're looking at a chat bot or conversational AI structure going forward or conditions on uh, the, the pathing to response, but the perception or our arrogance that we think we know what's going to happen is uh, uh, we continue to prove ourselves wrong on that. So, you know, and, and in fairness to all the folks that are listening in, you know, in, in my book, it's really a rant, uh, a, a lengthy rant for me on this topic of you can't know everything, dang it, quit trying to pretend that you can know everything. <clears throat> on your digital transformation, if you're the leader of the digital transformation and you're trying to, to get to a to the penny budget for your CFO and, and you're getting to a, a super high level of, of granular reporting for the CEO and the board and the other stakeholders, 
you're a lunatic right out of the gate. You should you should be you know relieved of duty off off the beginning of the project because you're not going to make it. There's so many unknowns, and I hear all the time. And I apologize, Dr. Ben, for taking this rant to you, but uh, you know a lot of the times what I hear is. You know, well, Walt, it's a transformation. It's like the the move from a caterpillar to a butterfly, and you know, and it, you know, it's 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 not that big of a deal. I'm like, no, we know now in biology what is a caterpillar, and we know what is a butterfly. What we don't know and cannot know in a digital transformation is what's the end state going to really look like compared to what we planned for. And yeah, you know, I, I just uh, we're. I, it, no, please go ahead, Fish. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I, 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 I was going to say that that we um, we live in a remix era, and this uh, distinguishes our generations. I am a I'm a boomer, and you're probably Gen X, uh, and uh, and we've got millennials and late early and late millennials and Gen Z that are are uh, working the spectrum uh, right now. And, and clearly, one of the differences is um, is the attitude, the pattern of experiences, uh, is the pursuit of the Gen Z uh, community. Whereas uh, in my age, in my day, there was a perception of path, career path, and a career role. I don't think that is uh, persistent anymore. And it's not a question of changing jobs and will you have 10 jobs in your life lifetime, but it is a question of building a portfolio of experience and leveraging that portfolio to define your role, define your job, define your pattern of work and, and where you work as well. Nomad, nomad lifestyles are growing quite, uh, quite significantly. One SOB, Dave Williams, uh, is the CEO of Nomad X in Portugal, and uh, that that community of hundreds of thousands of people that are far more than vacation, but less than full residency, living someplace for a year or two, and still working, still uh, working, and they're leveraging the portfolio of skills and adding to it at the same time. They're not following a traditional career path or corporate a corporate structure. And also they don't have the faith in corporations that that was had in the past. They saw their parents uh, being stripped of the promise of lifetime employment, being stripped of pensions and other things like that. So they have a whole different attitude towards uh, creation of assets they need and uh, accumulation of experiences. Than, than we see before too. And so that changes the nature of a, of a continuous training and skill set and skill development that, uh, that are a part of the work pattern going forward. And that remix era is, uh, the skills in the remix era are about stripping things apart, what we call elementalizing and then reassembling it. We look at digital transformation and the problem is that too many people are trying to fix the 20th century. They're taking the 20th century and trying to fix it into the 21st. Instead of deciding what, if we break it apart, what can be brought back together. 
Uh, and that's what we're seeing by the innovation patterns of the small uh, startups that are able to challenge the large corporations because they change the rules. They don't try to play the game of the uh, historic players. Uh, they know they could not win on that. But what they can do is change the, the rules as much as possible. That's why, to me, the 21st century is, a, is about one critical meta move, and that is the reallocation of decision rights and authorities. And that's mm. with people, and that's with robots, and that's with bots, and that's with systems as well. The end of this century, which I won't, I won't be here to, for you to challenge me on it, at the end of this century will be so different associated with uh, where decisions are made and how we start surrendering rights and authorities to systems. I, I call that letting go. I have uh, whole sections of my course on letting go of, of rights and authorities that you've historically held in the past. Thank you for joining us for part one of our Higher Gear CIO series on the future of work. We look forward to having you join us for the second segment where Dr. Ben and Walt continue their conversation. <laughs>